This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. The Huskies Warming House podcast is also brought to you by the Soda Pod, home of MNCAA college hockey news and more. Stay wild and up to date with new episodes throughout every week. Find them on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and other podcast platforms. And welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast, episode 167 here in the den. And of course, uh, a little bit of a different change to the show as we've always kind of known it, I suppose. If you didn't hear the ad read moments ago i'll rewind about 30 seconds and we've got a new partner so to speak and a really awesome connection i it shouldn't come as a shock to anybody who really knows us and what we do nick uh you know with the soda pod uh coming on board with us and just kind of supporting us a little bit more and what we do uh and nick you've obviously been at the forefront of mncaa and that first inception that they kind of went through uh, for us in the show and then kind of your background what does this all mean as far as uh, incorporating the soda pod into our daily lives so to speak in the podcast world you're just trying to get the word of you know st cloud hockey both men's and women's out to more listeners right uh, across the greater city of hockey for those who are interested uh, i know maybe the popular news line about St. Cloud isn't maybe the most positive when it comes to the <laughs> university. Uh, but there were a lot of positive of uh, things that happened for both the men's and the women's clubs, respectively, over the past couple of seasons. So this is always a, a good high-end program to follow. There's a lot of things that are going right. Um, some really exciting things on the horizon. Uh, so, yeah, that's really what it comes down to, is trying to get the word out to uh, the uh, of the university and to the successes both on and off the ice of these student athletes, the coaches, everybody else in between uh, to the masses. And that's why essentially this partnership is there. And uh, yeah, like you said, it's been sort of, uh, it kind of is an easy marriage per se, just because of some of the things that we've been doing together already for some time. Yeah, of course, you got Max Max Veach with Minnesota Duluth, right, and bringing that in. But for us, I mean, our job, obviously, like you mentioned, St. Cloud, but also holistically looking at the NCHC and on the other side of things, the WCHA on the women's side to kind of bring that all together, you know, it as we've talked about changes to the show, we're focusing on St. Cloud, but that also means really conference uh, for conference for the NCHC and WCHA. We're so excited to dive through that uh, and having a new partner to jump in as well as uh, our old favorite centerized few news and notes and the Huskies illustrated uh, platform as well, too, is really exciting to bring all of those together and be a part of this as well. Nick Max and Noah Grant ready to bring you episode 167. And we start with centerized few news and notes. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Welcome into the show, Nick Max and Noah Grant, episode 167. And as we kind of discussed before, really the bulk of these shows is going to be our women's and men's preview for the college hockey world. But sometimes the stories write themselves here. The last essentially tangent that we're going to pull in from previous shows that's not related to college hockey, we have been covering it. So we figure we might as well get down to the nitty gritty here. Uh, The AHL playoffs and... To be honest, Nick, until that overtime victory in game number three for the Hershey Bears, you kind of thought Coachell Valley had this one locked up and kind of signed, sealed, and delivered. And the Hershey Bears, moments later, a week later, game seven overtime said, not today, 23rd 
franchise appearance at that level for the Hershey Bears. And what an exciting finish to see that series go the distance. It had seven games written all over it, took nine goals against in two games for the Hershey Bears to finally wake up. But boy, did they ever. Um, I'm going to go against you like I normally do because <laughs> it certainly wasn't signed, sealed, and delivered. In fact, Coachella Valley against the Milwaukee Admirals in the series part of that, they also won both at home, lost three on the road that had to come back to Coachella Valley to win that series as well. So uh, at the end of it, you know, the home teams are holding serve in the playoffs. That trend continued here, including in the Calder Cup final. Um, and let's just roll the train, right, of the home teams having the advantage. In Game 7, it was Coachella that was up 2 nothing in that hockey game before Hershey would come back and tie it late. And then uh, sudden death overtime, right, Game 7, these are the things that you sort of dream of and play, you know, kind of with, you know, your your friends as a you know young kid in the backyard ponds, right, where you're scoring that winning goal. Uh, it is the Hershey Bears that does uh, end up taking the contest. It was a very great series. And, you know, I, I think if there's anything we can take away from this, too, from Coachella, what a season it was, not only because, remember, the first half of the season, they're essentially on the road the entire, like, first third of the season and then had a pretty heavy home schedule as they welcomed their new uh, building Akershire arena, which is absolutely gorgeous. By the yeah. way, it's about 11,000 people um, got all the way to a Calder cup final in the first year. Again, former head coach, uh, Dan Bilesma, uh, former Stanley cup winner. Let's uh, you know, adds a little pedigree to that. Uh, just essentially what one shot away from winning a Calder cup title to his name, but uh, that whole area down there uh, in the Coachella Valley, Palm Desert, Palm Springs, uh, really embracing the hockey squad. It helps that you're successful, but uh, you know, this is an area now, mind you, California, just down highway 15, to San Diego with the goals. You had Stockton in the heat. There's a lot of hockey that was there, but it really had never made itself towards that area of Palm Springs, Palm Desert. Now, uh, very quickly, almost like in Vegas, just to the north, very quickly becoming a hockey hotbed. And uh, yeah. shall we say every seat was sold out. Uh, the community engagement was really, really good. Uh, but you got to tip your hats to Hershey. Uh, again, former St. Cloud uh, guy, also Zach Fish, you know, homing the microphone, the play-by-play broadcaster and the director of media relations. Congratulations to him. Uh, he got the chance also after the game to go on the ice and also raise the Calder Cup. That was a pretty cool little tidbit. But um, yeah, could have gone either way. And uh, for Hershey, um, uh, was it their 13th championship, I believe, um, in their history? Um, add another wrinkle to the feather in a storied franchise. Um, and let's just say the Washington Capitals prospect pool looking pretty good right now. Yeah, you look at uh, the Hershey Bears' uh, 23rd appearance of their fourth Calder Cup um, since becoming the Capitals' development team back in 2006. So uh, um, Mike Vecchione, uh, game winner 16-19 in overtime. How about this? A couple of NCHC connections. Henrik Bordstrom and Ethan Frank recording the assists, of course. Uh, uh, a couple of guys, I believe, Denver and Western Michigan, respectfully, if I'm not mistaken. So. Yep. And then um, uh, speaking of, you know, Bulldogs, uh, Hunter Shepard, yeah, that's where uh, I was Calder going, yeah. Club MVP, uh, and deservedly so. Uh, surprised he hasn't gotten more of a crack at the NHL level. Uh, he, I don't know, maybe this helps him give you maybe a, another opportunity game with Washington, uh, who, shall we say, had some goaltending uh, a carousel over the past year. But uh, nonetheless, another trophy to the uh, the trophy case for Hunter Shepard that continues to get uh, probably run out of space up there here. Just uh, I know I'm a Minnesota native himself. Yeah, interestingly enough, Borgstrom and former University of North Dakota product Shane Gersich set to sign with uh, Swedish teams as well, too, after that uh, particular victory as well, too. So something to keep an eye on, obviously, as the NCHC products continue to make noise in the professional hockey world. Speaking of the NCHC, Nick, before we get to our women's preview here, a little story came out last week that talked about Arizona State uh, potentially filling out their petition to uh, bid into the NCHC and becoming the ninth team in conference history. We talked about this on our show about three months ago, and we flat out said the travel doesn't make sense. The logistics don't make sense. Uh, there's a lot more options for Arizona State in the coming years where it would make sense for them to jump in. Well, apparently, if things are to be, to be believed and things rule accordingly, we was wrong. Very wrong. Um, and let's let's actually you know open the envelope of the story a little bit here. This is their second time applying for NCHC membership. So this story goes back a ways. In fact, was it 2017, 2018, I believe? 
that they first made an official application to join the NCHC, uh, I believe with Mankato, if I'm uh, if I serve correct, there were two teams. Both were denied because essentially leagues that were not in a position to expand. Right. So under former commissioner, uh, you know, Josh Fetton, who, again, fantastic human being, did a great job at his uh, tenure at the uh, helm of the NCHC conference. But it does feel different. It does feel like there is a growing support for this, that there seems to be, uh, shall we say, the teams that are currently here seem to be on board. Um, and I think where you're going with this, Noah, was back a few months ago when there was it called a leak or whatever it was, right? That uh, it, it prompted a response and a pretty strong response from the Miami um, athletic director about how yeah. You know, with everything we mentioned, travel and logistics, uh, Miami, again, not having, shall we say, the best of history in terms of, you know, wins and losses, uh, essentially pseudo threatened to pull out of the NCHC if Arizona State joined. I don't know if that still happens yet uh, with this, but this is a very interesting story to follow because you kind of wonder now that this has been put out there, it seems like this is becoming more official by the day. We haven't had, at least I haven't heard anything, and maybe no, I might check with you, um, any word from Miami in response, because at least back then, that was more speculation, more rumor. Now, this seems like this actually has got some traction, it's got some wheels to it, and it seems more likely than not that Arizona State will be bidding to uh, apply for the NCHC uh, with it could be voted on by the Board of Governors sometime this fall with joining the conference of potentially one or two years. Yeah, it's interesting. Haven't really seen anything um, that is kind of uh, added here. The only thing that I can find is from late April, Miami's hockey future may be in the balance at Naples NCHC meetings. Um, so again, that speculation of the departure from Miami, who, uh, spoiler alert, they are our topic for next week as we start the men's hockey previews and moving into that. I, again, not great at keeping a secret, am I? But uh, I, it's it's been no secret that Miami has one struggled in recent memory as a program. And number two, just kind of went through a plethora of, you know, these hills and valleys that they can't climb out of. And ironically enough, we're talking about Arizona state, but Miami uh, in some senses kind of feels at times like the Arizona coyotes of the NHL, except in the NCHC, as far as some of these things that they're kind of going through here, not to that extent, obviously, but I, uh, you kind of get where I'm going here. I haven't heard anything as of recent, but if you're the Red Hawks, do you feel a little bit of pressure? Or for example, if Arizona state does fulfill their bid, they end up coming into the NCHC and finishes like fourth or fifth in the conference do you kind of start looking around if you're the Red Hawks and saying we were against this, we were against the travel, we were against the logistics and flat out they're playing better hockey than us right now. Does it, does it make you feel like you want to kind of pay your way out and, and move on to a different conference? Uh, it's more complex than that, right? Noah, because, you know, if they finish fourth, who cares if you finish first, right? Let's say Miami has a great turnaround, right? So that makes potentially that point moot. But I think the bigger story here is, is there another spot, right? And, and you know, we could go on for days about this, but I think Miami is in a position of wait, right? You're, you're trying to see where this actually goes, right? Do they officially extend an offer for Arizona State? And not only that, another side part about this is what does that do to the growth of college hockey out west, right? Because remind you, there was a lot of talk about Arizona State potentially being the headman to form a conference out in the western part of the United States, finally get college hockey on the Pacific Coast. If this does come to fruition, that tells me a couple of things. That tells me, one, that Arizona State doesn't feel confident in the short term. And mind you, in corporate world, that's probably, what, 10 years, right? Um, about the prospect of having enough teams slash competitive balance to form a conference, right? Uh, two, they feel like, okay, we need to strike iron where it's hot. Arizona State has recruited in the Midwest, and they've done very well there. Um, they also know that to get into an NCAA at-large bid or B1, they got to be A in a conference, and two, they need to play good opponents, which the NCHC provides both of those for them yeah so you know it's 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 multifactored and now you bring miami back into this so let's just say that arizona state now it's nine we have an odd number right yeah exactly doesn't mean, doesn't mean that i mean first of all it's a numbers game right i don't think it's as 
impactful as people maybe want to see. Well, it is. I, I mean, I don't think so hold on, hold on, because at the end of it, that is a minute part of the bigger issue for Miami, right? It's not just that the hockey team has not been competitive, right? There's financial issues with the university and the hockey team within itself. Um, so you kind of wondered, is that, is that part of the chess piece? And we, this is one thing we did talk about a few months ago, Noah, was, was this the chess piece to essentially f- put a decision on Miami? Could that be the case where if Arizona State is accepted, do we then see um, a request from Miami to withdraw? Like, we don't know yet. Or does Miami say, hey, maybe we don't want to leave. Maybe this is, you know, buoying up our hockey program by being in the NCHC. We still don't know. And I kind of get the feeling they're being particularly quiet because again, nothing's set in stone. I do kind of feel like they're waiting to see what actually happens before making their next move. Well, you mentioned the numbers game. Actually, the real logistical challenge I see is nine teams. Like you mentioned, an odd number. The scheduling gets really interesting. Only 24 games already on the slate. You have two teams throughout the season in which you only, you, you lose two games essentially against both of those teams then does it become something where like arizona state the colorado teams and omaha are playing each other for sure four times a year because they're the closest in proximity and then you reach out for two games against the rest of the teams up top and similar in the midwest and similar kind of towards uh you know michigan miami i I just you look at that or or does your non-conference schedule go from having the ability to post 10 games in there to eight, you know, do things fluctuate? How does the schedule look like too? I mean, there's a lot for the NCHC in general to consider about Arizona state, regardless of money, which don't kid yourself. The payday is going to have to be big for you to buy your way into the NCHC. I mean, it is a money driven conference, like a lot of things. Um, And on top of that, where do they fit into the fold as far as scheduling, as far as this and that? Because now you've added a challenge too, where you have to fit another scheduler into the mix. And it also might not jive with certain buildings. For example, Ralph Engelstead Arena, they don't just do hockey. There's a lot more that goes on there too. So there might be other things that they have to kind of plan for as well too. Um, I think you're overthinking this uh, quite a bit because, mind you, Big Ten is seven teams, technically. They're an odd number. Um, you can do nine, right? Remember, in St. Claude State's schedule, right, you're playing a few teams only right. once. Well, this, it's it's right? not it's not about the odd number. It's about the fact that you're growing. Seven teams is different yeah. than nine because you're dropping two teams that you have. I mean, that's eight games, you know, that sure. you don't have to think about, right? Essentially. So... I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the answer is. The NCHC has an interesting conundrum on their hands. I don't think it's as complex as you th- as you say it is. No, with scheduling, because again, you know, if you look back to this season's past, right? You know, you only play Colorado College once. Maybe that's what you add in Arizona State. Um, one, you're playing them once, and it's twice. So maybe you're getting less of these double headers. Um, like I said, do you take to compensate? Do you take away a non-conference schedule? But when you do that, then that also throws in some of the NCAA teams who have been buoyed in years past with mm-hmm. their success in the non-conference schedule. St. Cloud included. Correct. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's it's. I think it's going to come down to you know the NCHC will obviously have a proposal um, of what that scheduling would look like. Because mind you. Um, the Board of Governors meets essentially during the holiday break, right? And if we remember correctly, Noah, they, um, with uh, with Michael Weissman talking to him over multiple years, they set their schedule for the following season during that time. It's already done. So at the end of it, I would think that if this really does have some serious likes to it, and it sounds like it does, right, that there's going to be a written proposal to all of the current members it's going to talk about what scheduling, what, and I'm assuming the formatting would be part of it. Whether you know you would still have that slot for ten non-conference or eight or whatever that looks like. Is there a rotation? Maybe there is a spot where maybe it's a rotating where one season you're not playing one of the other opponents, right? right. Um, maybe that's part of it. I think the more interesting part here is what happens to the NCHC tournament. Does the ninth team just not make it? Does the first round, uh, does the number one team get a bye? Something like that, right? I think that's maybe the more complex part of the uh, equation. But nonetheless, they'll figure it out. They'll vote on it, essentially. Um, it'll either be nine teams who heck, maybe there will be 10. Maybe we only know about Arizona State. Maybe there's a 10th one in the fold that isn't getting any press, right? Um, we don't know yet. Um, or could it be like we mentioned before? Is it a swap? Sort of, right? Where it's Arizona State coming in and then Miami says, nope, not doing that. I want out kind of thing. Yeah. But the fear with that is, again, Miami, you don't want to be in a spot where 
you're an independent team and look where independent teams have gone financially yeah. and everything else, right? So unless you have an agreement or some other talks of other conferences, which mind you would be a huge breach of contract, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, you're, it's the grass isn't always green, right? And I know Miami's had its struggles, but I, I tend to not agree that the grass is always greener than the other side with Miami uh, leaving the NCHC. I think that's actually more of a risk for them to leave than it would be to stay. Yeah, two more things here just very quickly. Number one, do you think the NCHC, uh, I don't know if this is protocol or if this is something that they would just do because, of course, this is a little bit unprecedented as far as the NCHC is concerned. Do you think that within that proposal, they would ask for a yes-no from the other teams to kind of get a feeler as to how they feel? Yeah, okay. They would have to. I believe they would have to be um, agreed upon by the majority of the Board of Governors, which, mind you, is essentially a representative from each school of the, of the current uh, schools, I should say, um, to what to essentially approve it um, because of course it would be that entry fee um, which I believe does get split between the uh, their other schools right so that's part of it and you also kind of wonder too Noah because uh, they're on Stone State they're an NHL building kind of funny um, you know they've got their broadcast ready too right so what does that look like in terms of nchc.tv right that's something they've been trying to grow trying to essentially essentially kind of monetize right because we know what depending on which school that's at the broadcasts are maybe a little bit different in terms of how many cameras are operable the production quality too. arizona state's going to be uh, in terms of equipment for sure on the same line as say st cloud state in north dakota um you do kind of wonder too with now another team that's going to be essentially broadcast capable does that also put some money or pressure on some of these other schools to upgrade some of the things that they're doing? Because at the end of the day, Big Ten and Big Ten Plus, all those schools are capable. You kind of wonder for NCHC if they want to be at that same level of that product. Uh, do they have to invest a little bit more? Hey, that entrance fee money could help. Yeah, certainly could. I, we're looking at you, St. Cloud State. Um, on top of that, too, uh, wrapping up this topic like we always do since we were so wrong about it a couple of months ago, we like to ask the question percentage wise next next Nick, what is uh yeah, we're, we're not going to nix this conversation until we get your percentage here. What, what do we, what do we think? I mean, what are the real odds of this happening? I think it's up to 75% now. Ooh. I really do feel just based on the conversations that we're hearing, the information that's out there, that there's some serious traction here. Um, and again, I don't think that Miami being silent in this is a coincidence. I do feel like that is a direct correlation to a lot of these coming out in the media and essentially college hockey news, I believe was the first to really report on this. Um, th that's again, that's all connected to me. Um, I do feel like again, for the NCAC looking at the big 10 um, and for Arizona state, again, they got money, they got stability. They got a brand new gorgeous building. That's going to help them grow again. Their um, online product on CHC.tv. It makes sense for everybody that's involved. And for Arizona State, that's been looking for a conference for program stability for them without having to build their own. This is a perfect fit. Yeah, certainly them. Besides the new potential conference out west, the only other one that really seemed to make a whole lot of sense was the Big Ten, right? You know, but they don't really qualify, I believe, for a number of parameters, or maybe they do. I'm not really sure. Um, but I think, well, what was the question? Sorry, I, if they would qualify for Big Ten, Arizona State, if they would qualify as a Big Ten team, because you have, don't you have to hit certain parameters to like be a Big Ten program, you know, to be in that conference, first of all. Um, Every conference has their different bylaws, right? Now, mind you, you know, UCLA slash uh, USC is apparently joining the Big Ten too, right? So I I don't know what those would require because yeah. um, I believe also, because remember, Arizona State was in Big Ten's essentially rotating schedule too for the past couple of years to give yeah. them essentially a regular schedule. Yeah, right? and that's kind of where I was thinking. It was like, it's like would, was that an opportunity explored or did it not make sense? You know, for example, like here at Minot. It would have been explored. Um, yeah. just kind of wonder that is that, you know, because hockey still is a niche sport in terms of college, right? Uh, and especially it's not grouped like football or basketball in terms of conference impact, right? You kind of wonder if with the Big Ten and what the Big Ten is trying to do uh, in terms of, the shall we say it's brand i think that's the best way to describe it that it was more than just hockey for that conversation again i don't know that to be sure um but i would think because 
Big Ten is the Big Ten, that was probably a hiccup, as I do know for a fact I did explore that. Because otherwise, why wouldn't you, right? Yeah. You mentioned Miami being quiet, though. To be honest with you, I think that's their best play right now. Because yeah. until until you you know something definitively, you just don't want to dig yourself into a hole that you have no reason being in until you you know, are at that point, I think. so. Well, it's right. And, and again, I've maintained this you know, position for a while now, but I, I still don't think it's a good idea for Miami to leave. I really don't. I know that they don't like the fact that it's a travel. It's a hard, it's, it's far away, especially for them because they get it geographically. They're furthest out East. And it definitely doesn't help that their program has been, shall we say, fairly non-competitive in the conference and in the, in the nation for some time now. Um, so everything gets magnified, right? When you're, when you're losing, things are magnified, right? Um, I don't think this conversation's even remotely happening. Um, if they had been at least up and down or up and down, right? They've had some success because they haven't had any, I think this, um, a lot of these little things that I think a lot of teams are like, Oh yeah, travel, whatnot. When we asked Brett Larson about it, he said, oh, it's, you know, when they made a trip down a couple of years ago, it's, oh, it's actually kind of fun. You know, it's something different we don't normally get to do, right? Um, it's a different environment. Um, I think from the players and the coaches' perspective, they don't care. In fact, I think it's a great trip down to Mullet. It's a great arena, great spot for hockey. But um, I, again, I, I just don't see how Miami, Miami would think that this is a worst case scenario for them. And more so, leaving the conference would actually be better for them. Because to me, if, if I if I start hearing about leaving the conference with the way that we know about Miami University, again, and the whole the financial struggles, the hockey struggles, that to me signals more of that hockey program itself is in jeopardy, not the fact they're just leaving the NCHC. Yeah, you mentioned things being amplified when things aren't going your way and not winning. Well, I think that kind of segues perfectly into our first WCHA women's preview here. The, the Bemidji State Beavers, we start, uh, we anticipate them to finish eighth in the conference in the WCHA. And, you know, I, I always think about, of course, this is our third year where we're doing the NCHC previews. Now we've incorporated the WCHA for the first time. And I always think it's difficult because, you know, it's never fun to pick somebody that you, you anticipate to finish last of the pack. And you, you don't really want to ever see teams not have success by any means. But I think this is an interesting case because, to be fair, St. Cloud on the women's side was that team, especially when we started covering you know, women's hockey and St. Cloud. Uh, so this is kind of an interesting thing where I think we get a chance to speak a little bit more to what this position might be like and maybe some of the trends that we see here. Bemidji State, of course, uh, coming into uh, last season, did not have the result that they wanted. They finished last in the WCHA last year, only six points to their credit behind St. Thomas, who doubled them up with 12. Next closest was Mankato and St. Cloud, respectively, both in the 30s for point totals. So the bottom two teams really struggling in the WCHA. Of course, they're playing at the Sanford Center, same place where the men play. 4,373 is the attendance capacity at the Sanford Center, which is a beautiful building, mind you. It's kind of a nice little intimate building that I really enjoy going to. I wish they had padded seats. I don't know if that's changed since I've been there. It's been 10 years since I've been there, but um, that's the only change that I would make in that building. But um, regardless, uh, kind of an overview here, Nick, of last season, uh, you know, it was a season to kind of forget uh, as far as the record is concerned, 530 and one on the season one and oh, and overtime, they were two and 26 in the WCHA. And again, not to point fingers, but go back a couple of years. Does that sound familiar? St. Cloud women's hockey fans. I mean, that's almost identical. Uh, five of those wins came in the season opening weekend, a sweep against Lindenwood three, two and six, three. Other than that, their lone wins came uh, in October, late October, uh, a two to one victory against Mankato, uh, a four to one victory in late November, a non-conference game against sacred heart. And then they did get a victory four to one in the middle or the early portions of February against St. Thomas. But other than that, it was unfortunately a first round exit at the hands of Ohio state in the WCHA playoffs. Uh, Nick, let's kind of start there. This team, you know, did not have the record that they wanted. They tied Clarkson was the only other result that they were able to fend off a loss. Um, 30 times they were on the wrong end of the scoreboard. 26 of those in conference play. Uh, you got a chance to see this Bemidji team uh, in action last season they're a team that historically, just like their men's program, likes to shut down and play a low-scoring game. When that doesn't happen, they're not as effective. What did you see from this group last season? 
Exactly that, right? And uh, you know, Jim Scanlon, uh, head coach, there, phenomenal human being, right? Um, just unbelievable uh, in terms of uh, him as a as a character coach and whatnot. Uh, got the chance to you know chat with him a few times. Uh, again, that was the Hockey Day Minnesota game that I got to do for Bally's this past uh, January, which was uh, definitely the you know the highlight of my career so far. Hope to do another one at some point. Uh, in my career, but uh, you hit it on the head, right? They're a defensive first team. Uh, they want to, you know, essentially protect the blue paint. They also want to get into the opponent's blue paint. Um, the issue with Bemidji is they just don't have the caliber on offense, right? Um, a couple of pretty decent players uh, there last year that uh, just not enough depth, right? And, and like you said, yeah. you know, lowest scoring games was their pedigree. And in fact, you know, during the Hockey Day Minnesota, they struck first. It was St. Cloud that actually had to come from behind and score twice to win it 2-1. Uh, but that's kind of been their MO, right? Keep it low scoring, keep it tight try to get a bounce or two. Uh, but like you mentioned, a lot of similarities to St. Cloud women's hockey in the past where uh, a lot of time in their own zone, uh, you know, the offensive chances are not a lot of great A's, not a lot of, you know, she was a sustained offensive zone times, so a lot of one and dones per se, but, you know, great caliber uh players there, but it's not enough of them, right? And especially on the offensive side. Um, and goaltending this year was also, shall we say, probably not where they'd like him to be. They really do rely on their goaltending quite a bit. And I do feel like uh, last season, that was an area that they felt like probably could have been better. But at the end of it, um, like you mentioned, just not the best season win-loss record, but uh, a lot of you know character people in and out of that locker room. So it just it's tough to see um, a season where you struggle, you know, at least on paper, that hard. But uh, again, great program, great people. Yeah, certainly. Uh, you talk about leading scorers here. Uh, leading scorer is on her way out, uh, actually, as we speak. Nick, how many players on this team, any idea, finish with double digits in points this season? One, I believe. Yeah, just one. Uh, so you kind of, and of course, the leading scorer uh, had the tied for the worst plus minus at minus 38, probably one because you're playing so much, obviously. But uh, that kind of gives you an idea here. Well, you know, it, it's it's no fun to go through the statistics. But again, as we plan to for every team, we're going to kind of walk through this here. Uh, only seven times they scored first, which actually is kind of interesting. Three, three and one when they were able to score first in hockey games. So, I mean, if yeah. they were able to get out to a good jump, I mean, they were in a hockey game and gave themselves a chance of course two and 27 uh when they were down on the scoreboard to open the hockey game uh when they outshot their opponent they were about 500 four and five and when they were outshot only a single victory uh in 26 total contests two and three in one goal contest only five of their games were within a one goal margin um but again uh, when having a lead after one or two periods, they were mostly successful, but uh, and even tied as well, too. They had a couple of wins under their belt, but uh, when they were trailing, when they just got behind, like you mentioned, just hard for that offensive uh, train to get rolling. And uh, yeah, Nick, outscored by a margin of 154 to 40. Um, you know, yeah, difficult. Um, in fact, only eight first period goals all season. So again, kind of gives you an idea of when they're able to tally first or when, you know, they're able to kind of play a zero, zero game into the middle frame, you know, they're having success, but if they can't get to that point, uh, they just weren't uh, 1.1 goals per game. So I, uh, you know, obviously the offense a little bit starved, uh, as you had kind of alluded to Nick, uh, but Reverting back to uh, the coaching staff here, Jim Scanlon, you mentioned ninth season uh, coming up this year is the lone coach in program history to hit 100 wins, just coached his 300th game last season as well. Um, Emma Tara Sobiek, uh, the assistant coach in her third year, the former captain uh, back in 2018, had 48 points and just under 150 games for Bemidji's program. Uh, also played pro for two seasons in Germany, as did the assistant coach now in her second season, Sarah Bobrowski. Uh, also played pro in Germany in the same league. Also three years at Lindenwood for her collegiate career and one at Hamlin University, if anyone's paying attention to some Minnesota names and notables and, you know, former Olympians and things like that. Uh, also a uh, former on-ice instructor with the Ottawa Senators youth hockey program for the past couple of years, too. So uh, kind of a cool little caveat there. But uh, Jim Scanlon is the name uh, approaching double digits as far as his tenure there. And he's someone that in the media is not afraid to be frank about his team's performance here. And you got to appreciate that about what he brings to the table. What does Jim Scanlon bring to the table for this Beavers program? 
He's frank and honest, yeah, but he's also very positive, right? Uh, the one thing that he can do is, you know, he can make adjustments in game, right? We saw that uh, with Hockey Day, right, where St. Cloud was uh, really sort of, shall we say, just giving him no room, uh, especially with the areas of the ice. So Bemidji was uh, essentially sort of exposed St. Cloud a bit on the breakouts. So they actually did, uh, you know, sort of, you know, get in between the Huskies in terms of, you know, quick and clean breakouts per se. Um, so he has the ability to see the ice. He, he's a, he's a high hockey IQ mind. He can coach it really, really well. Um, the thing that he I mean, unfortunately lacks is just again, the depth, right? Um, the one thing with Scanlon that also you'll see is, um, and going back to being Frank is he's, he's not, a, he's not, shall we say shy to mix things up mid game, right? We even saw some, some line juggling there in, in hockey day, trying to spur some offense. Uh, he's, Kind of like Herb Brooks, right? Whereas if you're hot, you'll you'll play. Um, but if you're not, or you're, you're kind of like, you know what, this just isn't my night. He has no problem, maybe you know, sliding it down a little bit. Maybe you know, bringing somebody else up that's maybe uh, you know on a heater per se, right? As we like to say on the hockey bench. So um, you know, he's a good game manager. Essentially, is what that means uh, is he he knows when you know who who's hot, who's not. He also can look at the strategy on ice as it's occurring and, and know what the opponent's throwing you, how he can sort of you know, uh, shall we say, you know, corral it as best as he can. Uh, again, this is a defensive first structure, right? They're very similar to their men where, uh, and I think it's fair no to say this, you know, Bemidji State knows it's never going to attract, I shouldn't say never, but it's hard for them to attract the big offensive type players, right? So they do have to be stingy defensively. Um, and he can get these players to buy into that defensive structure, right? And then using, shall we say, mistakes and uh, they block shots really well. So it's, you know, it's yes. using, you know, the, the full eyes of hockey and and what you can do, right? It's not just about, you know, these pretty three on twos on the rush. It's not just about the puck off the glass and this and that. It's, you know, hey, you know, it's not always going to be this pretty thing, but if you block a shot, all of a sudden there's a loose puck, you win a battle, we're back the other way. It's it's kind of being opportunistic is what Bemidji State has have been. And for what he's done in nine years, I think there's a lot yeah, he could he should be applauded for. Again, over 100 wins. Uh, and again, off the ice, he's an incredible human being. Um, him and uh, the women's uh uh, head coach for St. Claude, Brian Adelski, very, very um, also close. And in fact, Jim Scanlon, I, I mentioned this during the broadcast, was the first person to call Adelski after North Dakota uh, shuttered its women's program essentially out of nowhere. So those two are very, very close. It shows you the character of two people when you get a call from essentially an opposing coach going, hey, man, if there's anything you need, let me know. So you're getting a character human being too that loves and can teach the game of hockey pretty well. Yeah, certainly. Uh, a couple of bodies, of course, leaving this squad as well, too. Um, and really, the top four scorers for this program are, are headed out. Uh, senior Reese Hunt, who we mentioned, had 12 points last season, headed to Duluth. Uh, Claire Vekich headed to Mankato. Uh, Adriana Vandalise headed to Maine. And then, of course, uh, St. Cloud picking up Ella Onik and Taylor Larson as well. And then uh, junior goaltender Hannah Hoganson is still in the transfer portal, have not heard anything new uh, as far as her. So other seniors of note, Paige Anderson had six points in 36 contests last season. She was a forward. And Abby De La Rosa, who, which I just think that's an awesome name, no matter what you're doing in life, uh, had a point in 36 contests on the back end. Uh, they might return for fifth year as well, too. We'll have to see. Uh, currently right now, and we're still early into the summer, so the, the other challenge, too, uh, as we go through these teams is some of these initial teams, we might not have a whole lot of information on their freshman class, especially on the women's side. So we're going to do our best, but uh, we don't have any information right now. Current roster right now, as it stands uh, with those transfers on the way out, uh, has four sophomores, five juniors, six seniors, and potentially those two fifth-year players if they return. That would be 15 to 17 players, about four to five defensemen, 11 to 12 forwards, and two goaltenders. Uh, one of the things that's also really cool, by the way, Bemidji State does a really good job with their website. As far as their, as far as their roster page itself, by the way, they have an... Um, a, an audio pronunciation guide on their website. So if you're ever like a broadcaster or trying to figure out how to say somebody's last name, uh, they have a little like ear icon, so to speak, that you can listen to the names of the players. I think that's awesome. I like from a broadcasting perspective, um, exactly what you're looking for. Not only can you see the pronunciation, you can hear it too. And I, I just, I don't know, kind of geeking out on that. Um, 
But as far as returning players, Nick, uh, since we don't have any notable newcomers, nobody in the transfer portal headed back to Bemidji State. So difficult for them, of course, uh, ending up losing, I believe it is, uh, six players that they're going to end up losing uh, in total here, provided that Hannah Hoganson doesn't return in net. Uh, Taylor Nelson captaining the team this season. Chloe Lund and Gabby Smith, alternate captains, heading into this upcoming year. Of course, voted on by the team. Um, and it's the first time that all three have worn a letter in any capacity at the NCAA level. So thank you, Sid Wolf, for uh, compiling that information for us. But where I was going with Hannah Hoganson is sophomore goaltender Abby Thompson. She saw eight contests last season, uh, and freshman Madison Fauché saw only a single contest last year. And again, like you mentioned with this goaltending group, even Hannah Hoganson, uh, 30 contests for her, had a 401 and an 881 save percentage. Uh, Abby Thompson and 844 um, Fauché and 818. So um, yeah, I mean, obviously limiting chances against is the name of the game. We've seen this before in St. Cloud's capacity. If indeed Hoganson doesn't return and Abby Thompson gets the call moving into her junior season, Nick, uh, what is the important message for the aforementioned coaching staff that we just talked about to get these goaltenders ready and really get this group that is probably going to have some freshmen incoming from what it seems like, to really buy into that shot blocking mentality and really keeping things towards the perimeter and, you know, first and foremost, taking care of the defensive side of center ice. Yeah. What's the, what's the coaching proverb in defense, right? It's, you know, always being on the defensive side of the puck, right? Sometimes when you're playing, you know, sort of that, I don't want to say a shell defense when you're protecting the house, right? Um, Which Bemidji state does. That's the kind of been their hallmark defensive strategy. Um, It's sometimes with Bemidji and it, we see it more exaggerated when St. Cloud because of the Olympic sheet, right? Is you do have to sort of give them some space and time, right? Now where that bites them a bit, and there's a less that you can do and more that's like, okay, I just got to disrupt, right? Is we know the top half of the WCHA, I'll just very briefly, we know what the talent is on that top four, right? Ohio State, Minnesota, Wisconsin, respectively, and then Duluth, right? Who had a pretty nice season themselves. So um, it's very important for not just goaltending, but again, everybody in concert on the ice to be able to play their position and to not get out of that sink, right? Uh, you and I know I both know, and I think our listeners do well played the game that it takes one person out of position for that whole thing to collapse. And especially when you're starved for offense, especially when maybe your transition game um, isn't maybe as uh, dynamic as maybe your opponents. Um, it's super important to kind of be just almost like a frustrator, right? Where, yeah. you know, we maybe not counter punch you quite a bit. We're going to take a couple of punches, meaning our knee pads, and we're going to definitely have some bags of ice in our shins after the game. But if we can commit to beating in those lanes for the shots, also taking away passing lanes, more importantly, battling in front of our own net, allowing our goaltenders to see the puck, and then also being there to you know clean up any rebounds, that can frustrate some of those teams up top, right? We saw that with St. Cloud when they did win against Minnesota this past year, right? St. Cloud's trying to emerge that way. They're learning how to counter punch. But the majority of that is coming from that defensive frustration and being airtight in their gaps as well as taking away those shot lanes. So um, it's super important, especially in, when you have a young group that makes it extra challenging because, again, it's a step up to a collegiate level. So you're trying to adjust to maybe a new system, but also you're trying to adjust to a game that's got more skill, it's got more speed. Um, so it's going to be a tall, tough, uh, tall task, I should say, but they can do it, but it's going to take a total team effort and uh, we'll see what Scanlon can do with, uh, what looks to be a pretty young squad coming into this 23, 24 season. Yeah. Losing a lot of players that were set to be juniors and high scoring juniors as well. Leading scores entering next season for returners, Chloe Lund, the, the now senior defenseman and, uh, one of the captains and Genevieve Hendrickson on the forward side, entering her junior year, both had seven points apiece last year. Uh, and you mentioned you know kind of being that opportunistic team i go back to uh really like the 2017 ottawa senators right that kind of boring style to watch in the stanley cup playoffs but they got it done because they were so defensively sound you know moving in front of that defensive structure in front of i believe it still was craig anderson at that time yeah Yeah, and and really uh you know the one thing that ottawa had going for them is they had uh, jean gabriel pajot by the way and just a couple of guys that really kind of you know, and Eric Carlson. Yeah, on, <laughs> on half a leg, basically. But uh, still, so, 
<laughs> not too bad, but, you know, kind of taking that mentality is it's like, it doesn't have to be where, you know, you're running gun or getting into a track meet or getting pulled out of position and running around. It's just, you know, you might only get six, seven, eight rushes a game. Got to make three or four of them count, right? How can you be productive in those opportunities in, the, in that limited capacity? Really, it all starts with the defensive zone. You know, I, I think if you're being honest, I, I think Jim Scanlon would look at this and say, you know what, if we're losing games 2-1, 3-2, 3-1, these low-scoring games where we're giving good defensive efforts, empty netter at the end of the game, things like that. We're having a chance to press and push back as we enter the second half of the game, enter in you know the latter stages of period number three. I think that's a good building block for this program. You have to be satisfied if you're in hockey games. We talked about the same thing years ago with St. Cloud is that they had to give themselves a chance in the final 20 minutes to make a game of it. Regardless of the result, they had to give themselves a chance. And I think now that we've seen that program, a couple of high-end offensive talents coming to St. Cloud there. Now you start to see that where now you can punch back a little bit and maybe do it a little bit earlier, but you can't do that unless you buy in on the defensive side. That means your offensive forwards have to be willing uh, to kind of eat some bucks a little bit, to stay sound defensively and then work the transitional game. And you have to know when to fight another day. You've been out there 50, 55 seconds a minute. Sometimes the dump and chase and the line changes is, is the best call too. You don't have to go and be a hero either too. So I, uh, you know, for this team, I, I think it's going to be uh, an interesting uh, ride for them next season. I, I'm curious to see if they can surpass last season's point total with a group that is so young. We don't know about this freshman class and we've talked about it before. St. Cloud had the exact same thing where they had a freshman class come in when we were there a couple of years ago. What is it? Four years ago now? Oh my gosh. Um, we won't, we don't talk about that, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, but talking about that in terms of they were the most offensively successful freshman group in program history. They suddenly brought this punch and you only felt like it was a matter of time until they were finally unable to unlock that potential. Now we're starting to see Pandora's box open up a little bit. That's Bemidji's task for next season. I think a good benchmark, we're going to get into the schedule in just a second, and I'm kind of jumping ahead, I think a little bit to our final impressions, but I think a good benchmark for them is to surpass last season's point point total start there get at least let's say five wins in the wcha start that train rolling start that trend get this young group involved and kind of get them uh feeling like they can make an impact at the ncaa level but uh nick let's talk about uh the schedule here for this program here they open up their season against guess who St. Cloud State, they are on the road at St. Cloud October 13th and 14th before taking on Wisconsin, then Duluth, then Ohio State. So a bit of a kind of gauntlet early for this Bemidji State program. Mankato in late November and then Minnesota to start December before they get St. Thomas right before the holiday break. Duluth, they will travel to Duluth to start January 12th before heading um back home to face Minnesota and then St. Thomas for a four game homestand and then heading on the road to face Ohio state to start February at home against Wisconsin and then finishing the season on, on the road and then at home against Mankato and St. Cloud respectively. So St. Cloud kind of bookends actually Bemidji season kind of similar to what uh, we've seen in years past. Yeah. A little bit with with Duluth on the men's side, of course, quarterfinals uh, start March 1st, first for the playoffs here. I, if you're Bemidji State, um, and feel free to add any impressions to the schedule if you feel as well, too. At the end of the day, what does this program need to do to be successful? We talked about some of the benchmarks that I had kind of mentioned. But in your mind, what are those benchmarks in in your thought process? And how do they get there? Uh, one, because, again, they're going to be young, right? And that is you got to gel early. Um, now, the one thing that they do well and one thing we haven't really talked about is usually in the past this has been a very good skating team they actually have some decent foot speed so <clears throat> regardless of my voice taking a crap live on air um beyond the the skating part of it or shall i say you know the lack of cohesion right because you're gonna have a lot of new faces on the squad as long as you're skating well there's a lot of things you can create. There's a lot of things you can thwart as long as you're moving your legs, right? The legs feed the wolf. Yes, I said it for you. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but, I, I was waiting in the wings. I know you were. So, uh, But that's really what it comes down to, right? And that is you just have to settle in. And, and you mentioned the gauntlet, right? You sort of have to, instead of looking at it as a gauntlet, you got to go, 
one game at a time and you got to be just ready for the challenge, right? That's one thing with Idolsk that he did to instill with St. Cloud was you can't be afraid to go up and, and face Goliath, right? You have to be ready to go to battle and believe that you have a chance to win, right? And I think with Bemidji, that's where you have to start. It starts really mentally, right? Can we go out there and execute our game plan? And can we put a 60-minute effort out there and not get discouraged if we don't get things to go our way or don't get the bounces or, you know, hearsay or whatnot? Or if you're St. Cloud get a jersey tug. So, um, you know, uh, but that's where it starts for me, right? Uh, number two, I think you're trying to keep things within a goal, right? I, I think that's, you mentioned it before, but if we can, if you can keep the games tight, right? Um, even if you're down one nothing, you're down 2-1, 3-2, what have you, um, one shot is all it takes to tie it, right? If you can give yourself a chance to keep yourselves in the hockey game, you will eventually do the things that'll get that bounce, that you'll create that odd man rush. You'll get that late power play that you'll be able to tie and who heck knows, take a lead, right? So just focus on the small things, right? I think it's easy for us, right, on the outside. As you look at a team that hasn't had the best track record. And you can say there's so many areas that that needs to be fixed. And it's not that that isn't true, but you can't fix it all at once. Right? You have to look, start at the basics, start with those small things, play fast, play smart, and keep your shifts short. Right? That's really what it comes down to. If you, and then just execute. Go out there and do it. And try to play loose, right? I think it's easier yep. said than done, right? Because um, we've all been there, right? Where the, you feel like the odds are stacked against you and you, you're gripping the stick pretty tight. Uh, you, you're maybe overthinking the play instead of letting the game just sort of, you know, play along in your head, right? You're not using your instincts. Uh, that's really what it comes down to. And for Jim Scanlon, you got to have fun, right? I, if there's yeah. one thing that in my, uh, my time chatting with him up before that game on hockey day was, you know, you could tell he's like, you know what? It's a game. we got to go out and have fun. You know, if we win great, um, that's wonderful. But even if, you know, we're, you know, like I said, not having the best of outings, you got to have fun with it because when you're having fun, you're usually more successful on the ice. So they got to do those things. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, you know, one, the commitment to defense and just kind of committing to the system and buying in regardless of the result. I think that, you know, there's going to be times where this Bemidji team, they're going to get beat. You know, they're going to get beat either on the scoreboard or in a single play or in a single period, whatever it's going to be. Take those lessons and learn from them. We talked about so much about, you know, I think a great example that we can reference back to St. Cloud, Taylor Lind, right? We talked about her and her freshman season where it was like she had these components and she just couldn't put them together. These little flashes of brilliance and you just kind of thought, oh, if only she could, you know, X, Y, Z, right? Then you started to see her sophomore year. She started to get some confidence, started to get, you know, some puck luck a little bit too, just creating some opportunities with her feet. Then, you know, her junior and senior seasons, when you start to move into those upperclassmen years, uh, then you start to be a factor. Then you start to be a catalyst. Then you start to take those lessons. And not only are you in the lineup for the sake of being in the lineup, now you're driving possession. Now you're driving offensive production. And I think that if you get some of these young players that are coming into the fold for Bemidji, as well as the senior leadership that has decided to obviously stick around it and see this thing through and finish what they started here. Uh, you know, there's a little bit of fire in the veins, right. You know, to be able to kind of come into the fold and try to rewrite what they had last year and, and make it better than what they saw last season. So of course, as we mentioned, and as always, we like to bring this into the previews to close things out. Uh, St. Cloud, of course, sees this team four times this season at the beginning and end of the regular season for Bemidji State. What do the Huskies have to do to shut down this team and earn four victories? So for St. Cloud, right, this was their game plan against Bemidji uh, last year, right? And that is you sort of have to handcuff them in their own zone, right? There's one thing about defending in hockey. Um, hockey fans, hockey players know it is. It's tiring. It eventually wears you out too. And especially on home ice where it's still, still an Olympic sheet, there's a lot of room to cover. Uh, St. Cloud, if you can just possess the puck, get into the dirty areas too. Again, both these teams, they want to protect the area in front of their net, mind you, right? If you can get in there, work your way through those dirty areas, uh, maybe get a screen, get a tip, or even more so, those goaltenders, again, were had a propensity to give up rebounds, give up second chances, right? So be around for those second chance opportunities because they were there, right? That's how you beat this team is you limit their breakouts, you slow them down. Again, they do have good foot speed. That's one thing that they still do, despite what their record says, they skate very well as a squad. Uh, but if you can limit those legs, force them to defend, you'll wear them out pretty quick. And then pretty much you can put it on, don't want to say cruise control, but you can definitely, you know, 
uh, you know, settle into what your game plan is and then kind of you know, let your offensive guns go from it. That's how you have to do it. Uh, Noah Grant, uh, assistant coach Noah Grant. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> am I wrong in any of my, uh, <laughs> in my analysis here? Uh, it's associate coach to you. Um, right. <laughs> but you kind of alluded to it, shot volume, shot volume, shot volume, uh, depending on if Hannah Hoganson returns or if you have a younger goaltender or more inexperienced goaltender, you know, put pucks on net. I, I think that one, you're driving possession by keeping them hemmed in their own defensive zone. You're forcing them to play that defensive style that we mentioned. But number two, not being afraid to filter pucks towards the net, crash the crease for rebounds. As you mentioned, just create havoc in front historically and especially as the season has gone along uh Bemidji State especially in that last weekend series tends to give St. Cloud a little bit of fits you know they played their best hockey as they push towards uh the tail end of the season which is obviously what you want to do and uh Bemidji no exception to that so I think that you have to be ready for the opponent you have to respect your opponent not walk in saying oh they were eighth in the WCHA last year oh they've lost a couple of key players they're clearly not going to be as good as it doesn't matter uh, 60 minutes year. Yep. Yeah, 60 minutes is, is 60 minutes, and you've got to put it all together if you're St. Cloud playing these Bemidji State Beavers. Uh, Nick, uh, anything else you wanted to add related to uh, Bemidji State before we head on out? No, I mean, again, a, a lot of question marks, again, with this squad in terms of what they will look like. Again, a lot of new faces and then the faces that they did have, uh, some, you know, exiting to other opportunities. So uh, if you're Bemidji, you can look at it as a fresh start, right? It's a, it's a new season. Uh, it's it's going to be a lot of new faces, but it's also everybody starts 0-0, right? So you everybody has an equal chance. Uh, there's an opportunity to really gel with this group and really buy into uh, to Jim Scanlon's system. So um, it's not all for all, but it, there's definitely going to be growing pains, I think, that we expect with this squad, being that there are so many new faces. We saw this with St. Thomas on the men's side this past year, right? 19 new faces. Had a really good second half, though, because they started to figure it out, right? And um, shall I say they could have finished higher because there were definitely times uh, towards the end of November and in December where uh, they lost some close ones that they felt like they could have won, right? Because they held leads and then, you know, maybe gave up a, uh, a power play here or there. So uh, it's an exciting uh, look at, uh, again, Bemidji State, uh, a storied uh, program here in Minnesota College Hockey. And can't wait for, uh, was it September slash October for it to start? So there it is. Yeah, women's team starts in September on the St. Cloud side. Bemidji State starting in October against the Huskies. Wishing, I always love teams in green. Wishing Bemidji State the best of luck in everything they do in the WCHA, except, of course, against our St. Cloud State Huskies. The Huskies Warming House podcast is brought to you by the Soda Pod. Stay wild and up to date with all things in the state of hockey, as well as CenterIceView.com and Huskies Illustrated, your home for all things St. Cloud hockey, including the latest news and photos of your favorite Huskies. Of course, next week, Nick, we get ready for the men's side of things. In the men's preview, it is the Miami Red Hawks and Nick Maxson. He's hosting the main portion of the show. So uh, we're going to find out how that goes. <laughs> we're going to find out how much you're going to be dreading that episode, uh, not having control of that. I, I'm just, I cannot wait to see what are you? sweat bullets. What are, you? what are you, Miami, talking about Arizona State? I mean, come on. That's not a fair comparison. <laughs> Yeah, which which one holds more of the weight? I'm not really sure. <laughs> Let's not talk about the scale or anything like that. So I'm going to go there. <laughs> Nonetheless, I put, I put on a couple since uh, the summer's gone. So. Oh, wow. You're up to 158. Sorry. Anyway. Yeah, we're getting there. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like your shirt. Does it come in men's? I don't. Um, it, it, well, it does come with, uh, it's, it's the dollar dollar bill Kirill shirt. So it, I have the exact same one, actually. Come, it doesn't come in men's, but it comes at $9 million a year. So there you go. Yeah, actually uh, kind of cool to see his, uh, recent stuff that he's had going on with his golf charity event. Also, by the way, uh, aforementioned sponsor centerisu.com had a really great article. If you're getting, uh, anxious for some men's hockey news in the St. Cloud sign, new pickup, I believe a defenseman, uh, only whatever he is, 17, 18 years old, he's six, seven, like two Oh three. Oh my gosh. That's a, he's a small human being. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he's like two of Nick. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> That's that's not it's uh, <laughs> not an unfair uh, <laughs> comparison, unfortunately. Uh, well, but well, they, you know what? That but the loss of Bushy, they need size. They do need yeah. size in the blue line. So um, as long as uh, you know, and, and a long reach too, right? So we'll see what he what he does, or you know what? Because again, a lot of defensive prospects there. There's going to be a bit of a yeah. log time at the back end, but uh, we'll save more of that discussion for later down when we preview the men's here. Yeah. 
Curious to see the logjam as well for the Miami Redhawks, our subject as we start our men's hockey previews for next week. For Nick Maxson, I'm Noah Grant, and for episode 167, we will see you soon in the den. One-timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! No, Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real. Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.